The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the mailbag edition, and we're all totally over that Raiders game totally over it lots of questions to answer today we've got plenty to get after let's do that but first gotta talk to my pals about this first find him on twitter at chief in carolina maddie lane would you sign levy on bell potentially i mean what's he gonna do right is he gonna help me build some more fencing for the animals is he gonna help me clean up the chicken coop like what is levy on bell gonna do for me Okay, here I'm gonna re I'm gonna I'm gonna re rephrase that. Should the Chiefs sign Levy on Bell, Matthew? I feel like this is a question we're gonna talk about at some point in time. But hey, if it's right now, it's right now. Yeah, sure. Why not? It, it cannot hurt. From the way I understand it, he is gonna make roughly six million dollars the rest of the year, regardless of who signs him, because of offset language in his contract. You can sign him for a vet minimum or whatever it's gonna be. He's still gonna get that much money. Bring him in if I never have to see Daryl Williams, Darwin Thompson, or DeAndre Washington touch the field again. I'd be very happy he can come in and be a backup to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. If you need him to be the main third down back, he can do that. Absolutely no reason the Chiefs shouldn't be interested as long as he's okay without being the guy. Now, speaking of the guy, people, folks, we have not got Barley Hop. On Twitter, Barley Hop, Craig Stout, the Renaissance man, he is almost at 12,000 followers, and there is still no blue check mark by his name. This is unacceptable. This man needs to be verified. He is bordering on full born stardom. I hate you guys <laughs> so much. Craig, do you know who at Craig, do you know do you know who has a blue check mark? Robert Rimson. No. Uh, friend of the show, well, he former does. Arrowhead Pride worker. He won't let it. He won't let us let it let it let us live that down. But Le'Veon Bell does. Le'Veon Bell takes go. Uh yeah. Why not? I mean, for all the same reasons Matt said, I'm not trying to supplant Clyde edwards lair I mean, they're not using him in a specific way. I'm. I don't have a whole lot of faith that they're going to use Le'Veon Bell in a specific way, but. I I don't think that he's any worse. He's I shouldn't even leave the door open for this. He is better than everybody else on the roster. Maybe even not named Clyde Edwards-Helaire. As long as you're not stunting the growth of the running back of the rookie running back, I go right ahead. There there's nothing to lose there. 
Although, if Le'Veon Bell doesn't get signed in the NFL, do we get this reality show with him working on Matt Lane's farm? Because I am more on board with that than the Chiefs signing him, I think. It has has the makings of Jay Cutler levels of epic proportions, if you ask me. Oh, Maddie. my God. That would be amazing. I'm here for it, personally. Maddie. I mean, I'm down. We, uh, we're we starting to get the duck eggs rolling in, so we can, you know, get him out there and some uh, galoshes and just let him smash around in the uh, mud <laughs> swampland and uh, collect duck eggs. They uh, they like to lay them wherever they happen to lie, so when they don't go into their little home at night, you got to fish them out of the water. That can be Lev Bell's job. He's making six mil to go collect my duck eggs. Hey, there's, there's worse lives to live. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into these, uh, these questions because we've got plenty of them. You guys provided a lot of great ones. We start with the five-star reviews. If you like the show, you like what we got going on on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel, leave a five-star review, ask a question, we try to answer them. And so we start here. Brian Stewart, 96, long-time listener here. Love the detailed discussion you all bring to the table each week. Thank you, Brian. Right now, name the players around the league that you're taking over Frank Clark in terms of all-around ability as an edge defender. Side note, Easier said than none, but I'd love to draft another game-changing defensive end through the draft and see what the defensive line would look like in 2021. Think the need will be there in 19 and 20. Rookie classes will free them up to go many different directions. Brian. All right, so Kent didn't warn me that I had a question coming up where I needed to know players from around the league and have a list ready. So I'm going to fly off from the hip here. Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack. I think Von Miller is still better and got enough years left right now. Chandler Jones would still get the edge for me. TJ Watt, I like him better as a stand-up outside linebacker, but I think he's been good enough that I feel confident that I could kick him down and he would be in that role. Demarcus Lawrence is a wash for me. Joey Bosa has been good enough to start this year. His injury history concerns me, though. I would be a little afraid that Joey Bosa's not going to play a full slate of games or tough through everything every single season, so that would be my only hold up there. I'm sure there are some guys I'm forgetting at this point in time, but those... Oh, Daniil Hunter would be another guy. Those are just some guys I know that I can think of. Craig can add anybody else that he's got ready. Uh, Cameron Jordan is probably in the mix there. He's been very good. Maddie said Chandler Jones. I I might take Von Miller out of that. Um, Von Miller is an impact defender. Don't get me wrong. And if the Broncos move on from him, I am 100% on board with the Chiefs bringing him in. I just don't know that he's going to have the same juice that he once had. I think he's more of, you know, a bottom tier primary rusher and a top tier secondary rusher I think he'd be great across from Clark but I think Clark's fairly comfortably in that top 10 range but I don't know that I put him much higher than that a lot of the guys that Maddie listens listed there are guys that I would probably take in front of him not including you know contract you know draft pick anything like that because obviously if I get Chase Young Probably going to go out and take Chase Young. I mean, he, he's he been really good for Washington this year, and he's still on his rookie deal. Yeah, I think these guys did a pretty good job uh, with this list. Uh, did I hear the Boses? I talked yes. about Joey. I was unsure if it was right now or not, so I reread the question. So, yeah, I would add Nick Bosa as well. I mean, and Chase Young's another guy you'd have to consider, I think, going forward. Just those last two are just a little less proven, so it depends if you're talking right now or in the future. Right. There's a, I mean, there's a solid, I mean, Frank Clark's pretty close to that top 10 ish range. He's very, very good. Uh, he didn't play it like it this week. So maybe Mm -hmm. this was a bad week to answer that question. Austin, uh, 
asks on the five star reviews, do you guys do, did you guys notice Dave Tobes say punt returner was the second hardest position in football? <laughs> Would of love to he hear did. your guys' top three after quarterback. Well, yeah, because Gunner is clearly the hardest position in football, hence why Marcus <laughs> Kemp has been on this roster for 18 years now. Um, my top three after quarterback. I do think offensive tackle is very hard. You're playing reactive most of the time, and you're very dependent on where your quarterback goes in which you don't have eyes on him. I think cornerback is extremely difficult, and I might actually put linebacker is my third one, just because, again, you're having to react to everything. You can do all the right stuff and be completely wrong. Those were the exact three that I was going to take. I was going to throw in defensive line, uh, interior defensive line as one of the positions there. There's a lot of bang, bang, bang things that defensive linemen have to do on the interior, you know, technique-wise, reading where things are going, trying to absorb blockers, keep guys clean behind them, and kind of read the general flow of the play really quickly. So I think that that's pretty difficult for guys to do. But yeah, no, what Maddie said are, are my three as well. Linebacker? Yeah! You're on Gross. like a two-way go at all times. Like, it's... It doesn't even matter. You can read the play completely right and be so wrong because the running back gets to dictate where you need to be. Like, that's why. That's why I wouldn't pick my only holdup for, like, any defensive line position. If you're athletic, it doesn't matter if you can read what the offensive line's doing. Like, you control what they have to react. Like, yeah, you can be wrong. See Chris Jones. But half the time, if you're a better athlete, you're still going to make plays. Like, that was the reason I couldn't include them. But let's hear Kent's. Let's hear Kent's three since he's hating on the linebacker one. Cornerback. Tackle. And very obviously holder. Moving on. AP Nerd oh, Squad no. at gmail.com. Hey, shout out to the holders, baby. I know what I know the I know what the life's like. AP Nerd Squad at gmail.com. Uh Ed, also known as UK Chiefs23, asks, uh, first thing uh to say is I really enjoy the stuff you put out. The second thing to say is that if you ever all predict a blowout again, I am going to hunt you down like the dirty dogs you are. <laughs> Obviously, everything went wrong tonight, uh, much of which is down to the Raiders offense playing really well. Much of what went wrong, drop passes, blown coverage is fixable, but the offensive line can't pass protect anymore, and they can't run block. Everyone is beating Schwartz and Fisher around the outside for fun, and the interior is a sieve. Mahomes is having to scramble almost every play, and now with assembly gone, we can't run block either. Besides that, how is besides that, Mrs. Lincoln? How's the play, by the way? Uh, there are no personnel changes possible that's going to improve this. Is there anything Andy Reid can do to try to hide this weakness by scheme? So, I don't think the offensive line play was good. I don't think they can run block a wet paper bag. And I think the left side was adequate, if not good at times. The right side was very poor. Now, with Rimmer stepping in for Colegio Simile, I don't think the left side's any better. You have an issue run blocking. Your entire run blocking success is going to come from stringing runs out laterally and Clyde Edwards-Elaire or whichever running back finding cutback lanes because your guys aren't going to be winning that many blocks. This is essentially, I think, kind of has to revert back to significantly outside zone. The Chiefs still found some success with split zone stuff, but it was always with Clyde hitting the hardest cutback possible because the linemen couldn't cut off 
any defensive lineman. I think that's going to continue. So you're going to be looking for outside zone runs, maybe some more tosses again. They've had some success with that. And then just essentially hoping your running back sees a cutback lane that defensive linemen have given up by beating your blockers against the run. In pass protection, I don't think the offensive line is good. I don't think it's as bad as some people think. I think Patrick Mahomes is at equal fault as the offensive line is for how bad it looked. I don't think he has any level of comfort sitting in the pocket behind the guys he has. Whether that is something they can fix with more time this year, it's just a bad stretch for him, or it's going to be something he's going to deal with for a long time in his career, I'm not sure yet. But there are plenty of times where he had time and space to sit back down in the pocket after stepping up and deliver a throw, and he simply didn't. He's got to get better at that. Yes, his tackles are getting beat around the edge quite a bit. Sometimes it's really deep. Sometimes it makes him feel more uncomfortable than it should. Other times it does pressure him and move him off his timing. So just something about the synergy between the tackles and Patrick Mahomes and then he lacks trust in the interior offensive line. Schematically, no, I don't think it's fixable. The Chiefs are not going to go away from five-man protections. It's what they've always done. It's what they're going to keep doing. I think you might start to see the pocket move a little bit more again like you saw last year, as much as I hate to say it. If that makes Mahomes feel more comfortable, at this point in time, you have to do it because he just looks incredibly uncomfortable when he has to step up into the pocket and he can't scramble. Funny enough, some of Mahomes' best plays were him stepping up in the pocket still. Like that's what I kind of found funny is he was he was letting those tackles fly by him and stepping up and still making some some of his better plays. You'll see like in my article, I kind of just noticed that. Uh, Kevin uh, chimes in. Love your podcast. My observation is that the start of the season is eerily similar to last year. 4-0 start with a blowout versus Baltimore, a struggle with a rookie quarterback making his first start, and after a lackluster performance against a Belichick-like defense, the first loss to a non-playoff caliber team with a good offensive line and strong run game. That's actually some pretty good analysis there. What is the biggest way this season is different? Also, could the fact Kansas City has yet to play a game at the same start time have any impact on their seemingly lethargic play? I mean, if you ask the players in the building, I'm sure that they'd say that that's definitely an ingredient. You don't get in the same rhythm. Not knowing exactly when you're going to play makes things a little bit difficult, but the other teams have that same problem there. Here's how it's different. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, and he's healthy. Now, he hadn't been playing as great as we've seen him play in his career, but he is healthy. That makes all the difference in the world. The defense is significantly better than it did to start last season. Last season, they allowed 444 points a game, and they allowed over 20 points in almost every single one of these games leading up to this point in the season. So this wasn't a situation where the defense was doing their job and the offense was just kind of coasting by and, you know, do you know, putting up what they were going to put up. We have seen the Chiefs be explosive on offense. Even the start of the Raiders game, they were very explosive on offense. The defense was not. We'll see if this is an anomaly, but the defense to this point has been significantly better than we saw in 2019. I think that there are reasons to believe that they can get back to that. Now, get with me after next week. If the Bills do the similar thing that the Raiders just did, it's going to be a problem. We can start talking about doom and gloom for the defense a little bit, but this may have been the outlier. You know, testing Derek Carr, forcing him to throw down the field, and then him doing it is almost as big of a shocker as anything else, as the Raiders beating the Chiefs. 
All right, we got one from our pal Aussie Chief. Dear Mr. Matthew Lane, Mr. Craig Style, and Sorant a lot. <laughs> Dirty Dan Sorensen is one of my favorite players. His special teams plays in the 2019 divisional game will forever be a part of Chiefs folklore. That being said, he seems to be on the wrong end of a lot of big plays against the Chiefs defense this year. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? If so, are there pra any practical ways the Chiefs can address this? Uh, he also adds, by the way, Chiefs football and your podcast is absolutely getting me through the lockdown and curfew we have here in Victoria, Australia. So keep up the awesome work, you guys. Thank you, George, for uh, spending some time with us in some difficult times. It means a lot to hear from you about that. Uh, here's the thing. I know you kind of kind of said this perfectly. Like He's undoubtedly part of Chiefs folklore. And I get why he's your favorite player. He's a lot of people's favorite players, or one of his fa one of, one of their favorite players. He also is not particularly good, and he's had some really high end moments in some big games. And you're right; he should be a he's going to be a cult hero forever, and should be. You know, I'm forever going to remember him trying to do the too smart, like Tyron <laughs> Matthew after after catching Justin Reed. He had a great AFC championship game. People aren't going to remember he had a terrible Super Bowl. And a lot of what you've seen this year, I mean, him getting shook on that angle route this week is pretty similar to him getting shook by Kyle Juszczyk in the Super Bowl. There's very, there's a lot of similarities there because, like, that's just kind of who he is. Now, great special teamer, fine third safety. That's great. That's, you know what, it, I think it's just, it's a matter of expectations for him. He should still – he's going to be around. He's a special teams folk hero, but he's not particularly good. That's okay. Do Let you know what I remember Dan Sorensen for? What? Having the best agility testing of all time at the NFL Combine <laughs> and then somehow getting turned inside out by fullbacks. It's wild. Game Seriously. after game. Historic change of direction ability. It's funny. But it's true. All right, let's jump to the Twitter questions. It's time to get into those. Joe Moore, why is Ben Neiman? <laughs> yeah, that that's a phenomenal question, Joe Moore. I went in on Ben a little bit. Listen, I don't dislike Ben. Ben's a fine dude. He's a good person. And he's a smart player that is legitimately trying his hardest. He just doesn't have the athletic ability to play the way that they want him to play at this level. This is why I was so worried about him as the backup Mike all offseason. I, I hammered on that point that Anthony Hitchens was one of the most important people on this team because they didn't have somebody behind him that could do the things that he could do regardless of how you think about Anthony Hitchens. Ben Neiman showed just that. And then as a dime linebacker, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand now to this point what Anthony Hitchens doesn't offer in the dime that Ben Neiman does. They're both smart. They're both about the same athletically. It just seems like Ben Neiman is constantly getting beat in the middle of the field, getting turned inside out by fullback. Speaking of Dan Sorensen, Ben Neiman gets it worse. So I don't get what he brings to the dime right now, other than the fact that they trusted him in that position all of last year, and they won a Super Bowl with it. Now, it wasn't because of anything that Ben Neiman did. Anthony Hitchens is just, a good as, just as good of a blitzing linebacker as Ben Neiman is, and that's where he makes his impact in the dime. 
I don't see any reason why Anthony Hitchens shouldn't be the three-down linebacker. I know everybody wants Willie Gay to take over that role, but Willie's just not ready to have the green dot and call the defense yet. But Ben Neiman, frankly, should not be on the field right now. I know we like to say that Ben Neiman's a smart football player, and I'm sure he is, you know, when you get him on a whiteboard, but when is that intelligence going to show up on the football field? Because when he took over for Anthony Hitchens at the mic there, not only were there communication issues across the whole defensive front, no, he wasn't doing a good job communicating to other people what was going on, at least as good as Anthony Hitchens does, and experience plays a factor. But his fits were terrible. He was getting pulled out of position by every run fake, by every potential crossing route. Like, even when he's playing, I don't see a guy who is seeing the field super clearly or super quickly. I don't think he processes the game live very well. Maybe schematically, maybe on a whiteboard drawing up plays and telling you what his assignment is based on what the information you give him. He's pretty good, but he doesn't process information quickly and he's even slower to react and then even slower than that when actually following through with the execution. The amount of times you see Ben Neiman take a relatively pedestrian angle and still just end up chasing after a guy with his arm outstretched because he's unable to reach him is incredibly high. I don't see what he brings to the team whatsoever. I don't see how that's even... I don't see how his athletic level is even functioning on special teams very well. I don't know what Ben Neiman brings to the team other than a guy that understands blitzing angles, which, funny, this comes right after Dan Sorensen's topic because I think both of those guys are really good at understanding blitz angles, and that's about the end of their strengths. Brandon422 asks, usually Andy and Spags are good at in-game adjustments. Why didn't they adjust at all during the game, or did they, or did they and it just didn't work? Offensively, I really don't know what the issue was. I think the Raiders' adjustment to go with three-man rushes with a defensive end a lot of times spying Patrick Mahomes when he tried to break the pocket worked out really well for the Raiders not having Sammy Watkins I think threw a wrench in what the Chiefs plan was they did lose that second guy to go over the middle of the field to work underneath and intermediate routes I just don't think the Chiefs really had a great plan for how to adjust to what the Raiders adjustment was it seemed like the Raiders just stayed one step ahead on the defensive side and then Steve Spagnuolo I mean, the Chiefs didn't give up as many explosive plays in the second half. The adjustment was taking Charvarius Ward off the field, and yes, it worked incredibly well. It's just the offense was just so far behind for what they were doing that last half. It just didn't matter. Steve Spagnuolo basically said Derek Carr throw deep because he's never done that before in his life. And then Derek Carr did it, and not only did it, did it at a ridiculously high level. Stepping into an Anthony Hitchens blitz that was around his feet and dealing a dime on the run. I mean, kudos to Carr for doing that. But as far as Spagnuolo's looking at it, he's looking at blown coverages, miscommunications, guys not understanding where they need to be on the back end. And through four weeks, we really haven't seen that. Like, they've been on the same page. They've been incredibly cohesive. Now, all of a sudden, Ward really struggled to be in the right spots. Late in the game, Dan had another one where he just wasn't in the right spot either. But this typically solid communicating group really struggled this week. So I'm sure Spagnuolo was thinking, listen, that's just one. It's fine. We'll get it back. After the second and the third one, then he pulled Ward off the field. 
They used him as a rotational guy on the boundary. They obviously didn't want to give Bashad Breland all of the reps, so they they started sorting in Charvarius Ward a little bit towards the end of the game, and then the Renfro play came where he didn't drop deep enough. So, I mean, it was a communication thing this week, and I'm sure Spagnuolo just expected that Tyron Matthew, Dan Sorensen, Juan Thornhill would get things organized on the back end. It just didn't happen. Yeah, it was... Uh... Yeah, I, I kind of mentioned it during uh, kind of mentioned it during the post game show. Steve Spagnolo was was playing the tendencies, and Derek Carr broke them all. That was a big piece of that game, and that's partially why Derek Carr had so much success down the field. I can't wait to see what happens next time. The three times they made Derek Carr look like Derek Carr, like pressure in his face, he was awful. Just he was terrible, so just more of that, please. Kyle K, can we expect Martinez Rankin to get put into the interior offensive line mix soon? And if not, can we win a Super Bowl with this offensive line? Yes, you can win a Super Bowl with this offensive line. No, I don't think it's going to be anytime soon that you're going to see, um, gonna see him. Uh, I think this is a really tough spot for him because he was placed on the pup list. Um, he's going to, he cannot start until week six, I believe he can come back. And that's a real tough task for a guy that really didn't have an off season like anybody else and try to get back into the mix at the, you know, along the offensive line. That's a tall task for a guy who is also coming off an injury. It's been almost a year since he's played real football. It's going to be a really uphill battle for him to get back into the mix. I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl with the offensive line playing like it is right now. If they improve, sure. Like It's not that much different than what just won the Super Bowl last year. But the issue is Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, I think, are both playing worse than they did last year during the vast majority of the season. I mean, And Fisher's a weird one because he was injured and then had a bad Super Bowl. But in between coming back from the injury versus the Chargers game and in that Super Bowl, he was a lot better than he's been this year. Mitchell Schwartz is significantly worse this year for some reason than he was last year. I think you need both of those guys to step up if this offensive line is going to be good enough to win a Super Bowl. If not, I think you are going to need some kind of change. I don't know if Martinez Rankin's going to be ready enough, but I don't think Mike Rimmers, Austin Ryder, and Austin Wiley, Austin Wiley, Andrew Wiley are good enough to help supplant or change up how much worse the offensive tackle play is. So, no, they can't win a Super Bowl unless things get better. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will be back with more of your questions from Twitter right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
Answering more of your Twitter questions here on the AP Laboratory Mailbag, Devin Travis 29 asks, who was the more impressive rookie running back, Kareem Hunt or Clyde Edwards-Alaire? I think it's Kareem Hunt, and I don't want, you know, I know that's going to probably upset some people because the Chiefs just spent a first-round pick on Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but the impressive start from, from Kareem Hunt, you cannot overlook it. I mean, he's done, he did more in the passing game. Then, uh, then Clyde Edwards-Alaire has to this point, and I think that's one of the big pieces of this. Also, I mean, I, I Kareem Hunt's really hard to bring down, even compared to Clyde. Uh, and I think both have done a really – like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire hasn't come down on first contact once this entire season. Like, I legitimately don't think he has. Kareem Hunt, same kind of thing. Um, I think he's been able to get a few extra yards in some areas than Clyde Edwards-Alaire has. But really, the passing game is where it's just it's so underwhelming right now to see what Clyde Edwards-Alaire has done to this point in the passing game. And Kareem Hunt was able to do a little bit more early. It's not even like the the, the other dis like the, the other disappointing thing is like it's uh, even route tree like they let they let Clyde or they let Kareem Hunt run up the seam against the Patriots his rookie year, first game of the season, touchdown, big long big long run, big long play. I want to see some of that involved with Clyde. We've only seen that. I think they've tried it a couple times, but like I want to see Clyde more involved in the passing game than we have to this point. It's really disappointing that we haven't seen that yet out of him. Adam Cole, 86. Do you think that we were better off with Demetrius Harris as tight end too, or Blake Bell? Not even close. Demetrius Harris had, was the best tight end too that this team has had under Andy Reid, and that includes when they had Fasano and Kelsey in his first year playing in the NFL as your tight end too. I think Demetrius Harris was playing better than Kelsey did that very first year because his ability to be a competent blocker, if not good at times, he could play in line or split out. He's a very tall receiver that, yeah, he had catch issues as long as you put the ball on his chest. Patrick Mahomes could throw the ball high to Demetrius Harris and he'll catch it. Just put it outside of his frame and he's coming down with it. But Harris gave them another guy that could actually be a safety or a linebacker or a cornerback on a route. That's something that Blake Bell, Nick Kaiser, Ricky Seals Jones Jr. If he ever gets in the field, these guys can't beat a player in man coverage. You just throw whatever leftover defender you have on them. And unless Andy Reid sneaks them into an open zone, they're probably not going to be part of the play. Demetrius Harris was an actual weapon and a very good tight end too for the Chiefs. I don't want to say they necessarily miss him because the offense has opened up since they've had him around. You didn't, you don't need quite that level of playmaker as your tight end too. But just in terms of talent and impact on the game, it's not even close. Is uh, is Dion Yeldy your fullback next week with the news of Anthony Sherman, Maddie? I don't need a fullback. The please don't bring up a fullback. You know where I stand. Nothing but, makes me more upset than when I see Anthony Sherman on the field. And I know it's going to make a lot of Chiefs fans upset. I mean, he had a nice little touchdown, but anybody could have scored on that play. Like, there is zero reason to ever put Anthony Sherman in the backfield with a running back for this team. Boy, we are really taking it to Dave Tobe in this podcast here. Oof. Well, hey, maybe he shouldn't have the worst special teams unit in the NFL. Special teams. Tanner Westberg, I'm just going to move on. Better safety duo. Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill are Hyde and Poyer. 
Listen, I love Micah Hyde and I love Jordan Poyer. Those guys are good. They have been taken to the woodshed by the Titans tonight. The Titans put up 42 points on the Bills as we're recording this. I, as bad as Juan Thornhill has been compared to his rookie season, Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill are the better players now. They've shown it. They've shown good symbiotic relationship between each other. I know that it's a sour taste in our mouths after the last game, but man, Tyron Matthew, when he's playing at his best, is a better player than Micah Hyde and is a better player than Jordan Poyer. So I got to go with that high end. Uh, Captain Denny asks, what position group do you think does the biggest 180 against the Bills as opposed to the Raiders game? I think it's the defensive line, the the pass rush specifically. I I just don't think that there's any way they can be worse, frankly. Tano Passigno is the only guy that really showed much of a pulse. I know Chris Jones had that one play that was very, very good play, but the rest of the game, he was non-existent. Frank Clark was nothing all game long. Alex Okafor and Taco Charlton, who had started the year on a heater were just nowhere to be seen. This was an abysmal performance against a quarterback that you had to pressure. The guy that crumbles under any amount of pressure, they couldn't put anything in his lap. I think you're going to see a significantly better pass rush, especially against a guy like Josh Allen that likes to hold on to the ball a little bit better. You're at least going to see a lot more pressure, a lot more QB hits than you saw against the Raiders. I think the quarterback position is going to do a 180 against the Bills, and we are going to get a really good Patrick Mahomes game. I know this game somehow got graded relatively well if you follow PFF, but this was a pretty rough football game for Patrick Mahomes, especially the second half. The first half was good. The he second was scorched half- earth. Time out. You got, you got scorched earth Patrick Mahomes in the first half. Like, he was ridiculous. So, I, yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, what happened in the second half, though? Yeah, what was the second half? It was bad. It was very bad. It was lethargic and a little indecisive and a little impatient. A lot impatient. Yeah. No, I mean, if you combine it, I think you had a pretty pro- production-wise middle-of-the-pack Patrick Mahomes game, and then you just the way he looked in the second half, he looked like a guy that was all out of sorts. He did not look comfortable. He did not look like he was playing any kind of on time he had a relatively bad day in terms of his accuracy putting balls outside of the frame of where they should be at all different levels of the field he made some great plays don't get me wrong but I just think if we're talking about a position group that's going to play entirely different in this next game I think we are due for a really good Patrick Mahomes game it's been two weeks now since we've had one the last two games have not been really good Patrick Mahomes for the full game I think you're going to get that versus the Bills. The Bills' defense this year struggling as they're trying to mix in more zones. You're finally getting a team that might not have the best zone discipline against an offense that is just going to be itching to finally start to put some stuff together. I'm going to the guys that are going to be on the receiving end of that, and that's your wide receiver group. Uh, I think they're going to step up in the absence of Sammy Watkins. I think you're going to have a McCole Hardman explosive play this week I think this feels kind of like one of those weeks that that happens um they're gonna have to figure some things out uh, without Sammy Watkins and I think they're gonna I think they will I think this group will rally around what we saw in the second half a group that was struggling to get open a group that was making mistakes 
uh, dropping some passes. I think you're going to get a focused receiver group, and I think they're going to be on the receiving end of Patrick Mahomes going scorched earth in a big game against the Buffalo Bills, who just got the brakes beat off from 42-16. to 16. Uh, Josh Zilstra asks, what has the offense done schematically without Sammy in the past uh, if, if things have really changed? So without Sammy Watkins, your issue is Tyreek Hill plays a little bit more on the outside. You get a lot more Demarcus Robinson playing on the outside. McCall Hardman's generally takes a lot of the Tyreek Hill slot reps. Something they have done in the past, especially when Hill was still working back from injury, you actually saw Byron Pringle get on the field. And even this season, when Sammy Watkins has missed a couple plays or been out, you've seen Byron Pringle take a lot of those X wide receiver roles. I think that is where they feel the most comfortable. He's the guy they feel the most comfortable with right now, running slants, working off press on the line of scrimmage. When we're comparing him to Demarcus Robinson, McCall Hardman, he's the guy that takes a lot of the Sammy Watkins type role. Hopefully, that's what you get. I like that option a lot better than forcing Tyree Kill into that role or trying to let Demarcus Robinson attempt to play on time in that kind of situation. So they've used Pringle in the past. They also mix in Demarcus Robinson, Tyree Kill. But what you miss is, I mean, you miss a wide receiver who can beat a Tredavious White, one of the better cornerbacks in the league, one-on-one on any given play. Not that he's going to do it consistently, but any given play, Sammy Watkins can take the best cornerback in the league to the woodshed and beat him. When you replace him with Hardman, Robinson, Pringle, you just don't have that same level of threat. So you see a little bit less stuff run through that X wide receiver. They become a little bit more of a second option. But as long as it's a guy like Byron Pringle, I think you can work with that because you are going to have someone that is able to fulfill the role or at least the skill set that Sammy Watkins left. Byron Pringle looked really good on his one catch. And legitimately, he looks like a better route runner than Byron or than Demarcus Robinson and McCole Hardman. Like legitimately. There is very obviously a lack of trust there. They if Byron Byron Pringle should be playing over those two right now, frankly. If if what we saw as a route runner was legitimate, he should be. There's reasons he's not. Um, so he, he clearly hasn't earned it in the eyes of the coaching staff. That's why you're seeing a lack of opportunity there. Also, just keep an eye on Travis Kelsey playing isolated on the backside of the formation more often. More YISO uh, as a way to help kind of alleviate the loss of a Sammy Watkins. Hunter Erickson. Hey, guys. Hope your day is going good. My question is, what's some potential trades you would like to see this year at this year's trade deadline? Maybe get someone from a selling team like the Falcons. Thanks for reading. Um, So it's a little early, I think, because you don't know quite who is going to be available on the market. We just got done talking about Le'Veon Bell as an addition. Um, So there's a guy that you could potentially see, um, you know, thrown into the mix, not in a trade, but as an acquisition. You know, you got to keep an eye on Sammy Watkins, though. If Sammy Watkins is going to miss some time, you've got to you've got to potentially look into grabbing an next receiver. Um, I think AJ Green's washed, though. I'm not entirely sure that there's much left for him. Maybe he's just dissatisfied with being where he is right now. Um, and I think his price tag, I believe he's playing on a franchise tag. So that makes it a little bit difficult. I don't see any right now, but, you know, let's see where things shake up here in a few weeks. I mean, if you're looking at the Falcons roster specifically, they've got a few young corners, Isaiah Oliver, A.J. Terrell, Kendall Sheffield, these guys that 
had a little bit of juice coming out, but really, you know, are kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. We'll just kind of have to see there. I, I don't think that the Falcons, the players that the Falcons have that are worth the Chiefs trading any sort of assets to, I think they're going to want to keep in-house as enticing pieces for the next regime to come in and build around. They've got some young pieces. They've got some guys that they want to build around. But yeah, X receiver, interior offensive line, and you're just going to have to kind of pay attention. Offensive line play is down kind of overall in the league, so teams are reticent to come off of those positions. If you can kind of steal one from a team that is maybe, you know, on the last year of their deal or something like that, that's 0-4, 1-5, something along that lines, maybe you can come in, sneak in, grab a guy. But as it stands, I don't know that the Chiefs are going to be real big players at the trade deadline. I don't think, yeah, I'm with Craig there at the end. I don't think they're going to be looking to make a lot of moves. They don't have... A ton of cap space. I don't think they have a lot of stuff that they're going to want to part with. You need your draft picks when you don't have a ton of cap space moving forward. You can't really trade them off to get veteran players. They're going to cost more money. I don't think the Chiefs have a position that they're particular deep enough at that they feel comfortable trading up or trading away some of their depth. I just don't know what the Chiefs would be giving up to bring someone in. And if anything, they need to kind of be looking towards that interior offensive line. I just don't see a team selling off interior offensive linemen as bad as offensive line play has been in this kind of shortened offseason. I mean, when's the last time an interior offensive lineman of value has been traded at the trade deadline? It's not really a position that you see a lot of moves made midseason. You kind of look for guys that play single positions, like a wide receiver or a cornerback, because they're on an island kind of by themselves. Offensive line is so much continuity that just throwing in someone new and trading away an asset for it without getting any level of practice or anything there is just such a risk, and teams don't want to break anything like that up. Drew Cobb asks, After listening to Maddie Lane and Jeff Schwartz, I think Mahomes is just as much to blame for the poor passing offense, not trusting the pocket, stepping up, bailing out off, out of the top. How long does it take to address this issue, and how come no one else seems to notice this? I think the Chiefs notice it. Patrick Mahomes notices it. He talks about it after plenty of games. Uh, Last year after the Patriots game was a big one. He spoke on how he has to get better. I think he has said it again this year. So these are things the Chiefs know. Patrick Mahomes himself knows. This is very clear. I think not everyone notices it because it just looks bad. Generally speaking, not many people are taking note of the line of scrimmage, how far Patrick Mahomes is back, and then where the pressure comes from. They just see Patrick Mahomes running for his life without really understanding that it's 12 yards deep, and then he just keeps running away. That said, it's a lack of trust and synergy between the two units. Mahomes is dropping real deep. It seemed last year the tackles were a little bit better at kicking guys deeper than they have been so far this year. He doesn't trust his interior offensive line to hold the pocket when he does step up into it. So if he's not throwing off his first step when he slides forward, he would rather scramble out laterally, get into space, and make a ridiculous throw on the move. It's it's from everybody, and Mahomes is going to keep working on it. He fixes it every year. This comes up every year. He works on it. He gets better as the year goes on. It might happen again in week 14, and we're going to talk about it, and then it'll get fixed again for the playoffs. It's something that he's going to deal with his entire career, just like Russell Wilson always deals with holding the ball too long, just like Aaron Rodgers always dealt with holding the ball too long until he realized that you know he's maybe not capable of doing that anymore. 
Some guys, when they're this good, just do ridiculous things. This is something Mahomes does. You live by it, you die by it, and he'll fix it when it becomes a problem like it was. Yeah, uh, people don't necessarily notice it or take note of it because all they see is their franchise, the thing that we have all begged for for so long, running for his life, and they just go, oh, God, get this man an offensive line. You know, that's just the natural reaction. It's not just us talking about it this year. We talked about it last year and the year before. Like, I mean, this is this is just a present issue. It's something that has been part of Patrick Mahomes' game. You try and rein it in as much as possible, but you don't want to kill it completely because he makes special things happen when he holds onto the ball, when he escapes the pocket. We see some of his best plays are him out of structure. And if you're trying to force him to do some things within that structure a little more, you take away some of his magic, you take away some of the specialness of it, but it's also not a bad idea, Andy, to mix in a few more quicker developing concepts and not just go for the whole banana all the time. Boy, it felt like they were just way too downfield minded in the second half. Uh, with some like just kind of watching some things, it felt like they. You're right. They just needed to give him some easier completions. Um, and you know what? Like we were all hard on the offensive line at, after, immediately after the game. And I mean, I think we've kind of all walked back a little bit on that, even watching it a little bit more. And I'm I fall into that boat too. Um, I, I don't think the offensive line played well. Don't get me wrong. I think Mahomes shares a little bit more than I thought initially. Um, a little bit of lack of patience. Now, it's not just Mahomes because no, e- no one was open either. I don't know how much the play calling truly helped him. So there were some of those issues too. Um, but the offensive line is not good, but they definitely – I probably was a little bit too hard on him initially. J.R. Stewart, 19. You guys have mentioned the need to have Sammy uh, – to have Sammy or replace him with another receiver that can play X. Why is it so important to have an X receiver? Great question. Your X receiver is very often going to be on the line of scrimmage. That means he's going to have to be able to beat press. Um, he's going to have to be able to get off the line of the scrimmage cleanly. Uh, typically, it's a big-bodied guy or a, not like big-bodied guy like Jody Fortson, big-bodied guy like Sammy Watkins, who is athletic enough to create separation in a short amount of time, a la a slant route. Uh, strong hands that's going to be able to catch in a contested situation uh, there for that second and four, that third and four slant. Um, he's good blocker. Uh, physical after the catch is, is a plus as well. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a guy that's going to be able to do all those kinds of things for you. Um, it's, it's losing Sammy's tough. It's 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 a tough one because, like we said, there's really not a great direct replacement. You're gonna see Tyreek, or you're gonna see, yeah, you might see a little bit of Tyreek Hill over there, but you're gonna see Byron Pringle, you're gonna see some Travis Kelsey, maybe a little bit more lined up as that X. He's your backside player, and sometimes sometimes he's your one-on-one. Um, you know, sometimes he may not even necessarily be part of the progression. He's a if you like the matchup, you take it kind of guy, and you've got your, you know, if you're in a three by one, and he's your guy isolated on the backside, and you just like your matchup. You're getting man coverage. You might just work the single receiver side and just forget the concept to your to your front side. So, uh, Ben Haranim asks, who are some interior linemen we should be looking at in the 2021 draft, Maddie? 
Interior offensive line prospects are always so hard because some of the best ones play tackle in college. You just don't know how teams are going to see them. But I mean, I like Creed Humphrey. He's a center from Oklahoma. I think he kind of fits the mold of guys the Chiefs are looking for on the interior right now. Guys that can adequately move, but are a little bit more power players and incredibly smart. I would love to see him. He could play either guard spot, but I'd really like to see him come in and play center over Austin Ryder. If you're looking to spend an early draft pick, I mean, Trey Smith out of Tennessee is a powerhouse. I like guys like Rashawn Slater's an offensive tackle at Northwestern, but a lot of guys think he's going to kick inside the next level. I really like his film, and I think he'd be great. There's there's so many guys. like Those are kind of all top end of the drafts so of round one, maybe round two if you get lucky for those guys. But hopefully the Chiefs are willing to invest that early because I, mean, I do think if you need an impact player, you might have to reach a little bit earlier because you can't keep just kind of piecing this thing together. Wide receiver. Uh, hold Chad. Chiefs, the Chiefs have five, a five-game winning streak every year under Andy Reid. Does it happen this year? Yeah, definitely does. As a matter of fact, if they win against the Buffalo Bills next week, the five-game streak starts. The next games are the Denver Broncos, the New York Jets, the Carolina Panthers, and the Vegas Raiders matchup. I'm sorry, but the Chiefs are going to win four of those games. If they beat the Bills, they're going to rattle off the next four. Even if they don't, the next game after that is the Bucks. I think the Chiefs should win that one. Then after that, you've got, even if they drop that one, You've still got five on the back end there of the Broncos, Dolphins, Saints that can't throw the ball downfield, Falcons, and the Chargers. I think the Chiefs are going to rattle off five in a row. They could rattle off ten in a row for all we know. I just think that there are multiple opportunities. The schedule gets much easier. There are some positioned games in there, but they are going to rattle off five in a row at some point. I mean, don't forget the three to four to on the way to back-to-back Super Bowl championships, too. So you can just do it in the last two weeks of the season on to the Super Bowl That's victory. True. That's true. That's absolutely true. That's a very good point, Matthew. Isaac Lieberman, how do Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes overcome teams dropping 7-8 and eight in coverage? This is an issue that I had at the Chiefs offense last year. I think they get a little too into their own hype and run a lot of route concepts or plays where guys just generally run into space. I think when you get that all 22 view and just watch some plays, it's never more evident than you see some of these plays where guys just kind of jog into a space because they see that it's covered and then just kind of sit there and turn around and wait to see what Mahomes is doing. Instead of doing that, instead of running, you know, an over route with a seam route and just two other guys occupying spaces on the field, I would like to see them start dialing up more legitimate route combinations that rely on timing and precision rather than guys just trying to read the coverage and just go to an open area. Yes, it has success, and I'm not saying you need to drop it entirely, but the Chiefs seem to get a little too reliant on this kind of stuff in the early to middle parts of the season at times. Get some more timing. Somebody besides Travis Kelsey needs to be opening up on time to have a ball thrown with some anticipation. You need more than just Tyreek Hill making some hard breaks in the intermediate areas of the field. You can't just have Demarcus Robinson and McCall Hardman go run to quote-unquote open space repeatedly because defenses know the open spaces you like to attack. They're starting to cover it, especially when they have eight guys back there. It's going to have to be a lot more timing, tight window throws, which means the ball has to be thrown to an exact location where a receiver is going to be, not a general area like they've been operating at times. 
when you've got teams that are dropping eight into coverage, typically they're they're flooding zones. So the counter to that is to pull them out. You know, find a you know two people in zone on the sideline and run three routes that attack it. Run flood routes. You know, stretch those zones out. If they want to give up the underneath, that's when you can use Clyde edwards helaire That's when you could check it down to him. Get six, get seven. If you got a linebacker that pulls up against him, hit that middle hole. If you've got both of those guys that come up, well, then you can attack over the top like you want to, that your offense is predicated on. We see too often now that Andy just wants to try and run whatever he wants to do and he needs to necess- he needs to focus on setting up some of these concepts maybe a little bit better than we've seen right now. He's a little guarded with some of these and then when they do drop eight in coverage, you got to pass block. You're getting beat with three-man rushes way too often. That cannot happen. You can't have that quick a pressure because frankly, you just won't have guys be able to come open that often. Receivers got to see that early. Mahomes has to see that early. They've got to dial up some of these beaters. Mahomes got to be a little bit more patient too um, in those situations as well. Um, I think part of it is they need to they need to this is going to sound weird, but they just need to run block better uh, because they're getting favorable boxes to run into and they can't do it. So if teams are going to you know drop seven, drop eight, they're going to play with light boxes. You're you just got to win up front a little bit there. And to Craig's point, Mahomes has got to work down to Clyde. And they got to get Clyde more involved. Get Clyde in the middle of the field, please. Like, is it so hard? Can we get can we get him in between the numbers? Maybe running more angle routes? Give the man a true option route. Seriously. Let him, let him get even with a backer and give himself a two-way go. Just like, they got to get him involved a little bit more because they're Teams are going to continue to carry for depth, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire should be operating underneath. I don't know why this is so hard so right now. Max Arquilla, what is the biggest issue the Chiefs need to fix before next game against the Bills? Also, love your guys' podcasts and Kent's rants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, except for the Kent's rants parts, because it's much louder when we hear them, you guys. Much, much, much louder. Anyway, um, communication on the back end. Secondary's got to communicate better. They got to have everybody on the same page. This game is a lot different if everybody is playing their responsibility, everybody's playing their zones correctly like they did the first four weeks of the season. A lot of those deep passes are not there. Derek Carr's not going to have open opportunities to throw downfield. It's just frankly a completely different game. So they got to clean that up because we know that Josh Allen is going to throw way downfield. We know that Stephon Diggs is a very, very, very good receiver that can route up any of these guys. And man, they just have to make sure that they got all their checks. They got everything straight because frankly, they're going to get attacked vertically again this week and they need to have that cleaned up. I think we've talked about it throughout this whole podcast now, but I just think it's the combination of Patrick Mahomes and the offensive line finding a way to work together to give him just enough time to get the ball out without having to panic. When Patrick Mahomes is scrambling making plays, it's great. When he's rushing to scramble and then having to force a play, it doesn't work out as well. We've seen that a couple times this year, especially the way teams are going to play him. 
he needs to feel more comfortable behind that offensive line. I don't know if that's just up to them to play better, a switch he can flip mentally, but something there has to be fixed because the Bills can put up points. I think the Bills will put up points against the Chiefs. The Chiefs will have to be better in the second half of this football game than they were versus the Raiders to come out on top. I agree with both of you, so I got nothing else to say. That's going to do it for the AP Laboratory Mailbag. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We'll be back with the game preview on Friday. Make sure you're checking out everything on the AP Podcast channel. We'll catch you later. Please throw the ball to Clyde, not in the flats.